Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us today, we have one of our favorite guests. He's been on every season, and he's back for this one. Guest, introduce yourself, please. Hello there. Uh, I'm Eric Adams, uh, pop culture editor and critic and journalist and frequent moving right along guest. One of our most frequent. Yes, indeed. So I was I was very sad to uh, to see in retrospect that I missed out on the uh, Muppet Family Christmas uh, season. I think I think it was uh, it was right around the time that my daughter was born. So like I didn't even know that y'all had done it. Uh, I was just looking back uh, on episodes a- ahead of this season, and I was like, "Oh, Muppet Family Christmas! I got to go back and listen to that." Ah, thank you. Um, yeah, the thing with Muppet Family Christmas was we just wanted to get them because we released them daily during December, so we wanted to get them all in the can as soon as, like, as quickly as possible. So we had my wife on five, Ryan's wife on five, Tough Pigs founder Danny Horn on five, and I'm sorry, Eric, your enemy, Joe Hennis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that just stings all the more. Oh. <laughs> oh, but 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 the truth was that we knew we could get all of them like in the room for five yeah. five short episodes in a row, you know. So that makes sense. But yeah, like, that's that's tr- truly the only reason we didn't call. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. All right. Well, gl- super glad to have you back for this one where we are discussing minutes 43 and 44 of the Muppet Christmas Carol. In these minutes, Scrooge meets Belle, which is presumably the highlight of Fozziewig's Christmas party for him. So we open with the end of the singing grapes. Uh, we heard David Rudman as the Swedish chef last time. <laughs> but here we hear just the singing grapes. And then Rizzo says, ah, forget it. Mother always taught me never eat singing food. I do want to point out that in a few years, Rizzo will eat food that is presumably capable of singing because there's an episode of Muppets tonight where he, I didn't, I forgot to actually look this up, but I think they're the dancing cheeses that he eats. So they Rizzo does on occasion eat sentient Muppet food. It's just, I guess uh, he, he forgot his mom's lesson on that uh, occasion. <laughs> well, so that, uh, that raises the question that I always have when watching these movies. And it's, you know, is, is Rizzo playing a character in uh, a Christmas Carol, as Gonzo is Charles Dickens. So is Rizzo himself here? Is Rizzo well, speaking about advice that his mom, his actual mom, gave him? He has credited Rizzo the Rat as himself in the opening right, credits. Then. So yeah, and and like as we said, I think just a couple of episodes ago, Rizzo does yell, "I'm from New Jersey," uh, when the cat <laughs> is chasing him. So he's yeah. so he's American at least, which Gonzo apparently isn't if he's Charles Dickens. Yeah, right? it's um, all very confusing. But I, I was going to say about it never eating in food. I do love the idea that this is a lesson Muppet parents have to teach their children. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. It's like if, if the food is sentient, don't eat it. Yeah. Anything might be alive when you're a Muppet. That's yeah. just compassion. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's what the Muppets have been teaching since, since day one. That's right. Right. There right. It was a very subtle lesson that we've never noticed. <laughs> so next thing, uh, young Scrooge comes out to deliver a message to Fozziewig. And young Scrooge here is played by Ray Colthard. I believe we mentioned his name in passing. This is the first time we really get a good look at him. 
he was a regular on the BBC show Hotel Babylon later. He was the head chef at the titular Hotel Babylon. But other than that, he's just kind of been a character actor since this movie. He, he was on Call the Midwife one time. A lot of British TV like credits, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was also in The English Patient. Oh, right. A very good match for uh, for a young Michael Caine, I would say. Or at least the the hair and makeup departments have done a good job of matching their eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we do know what match. Michael Caine looked like as a, a younger man. I don't know about this young. I don't know when he started making movies. But yeah, he looked, you, you believe that he's young Michael Caine. Hard right. to picture young Michael Caine without the uh, Ipcris file glasses on. Mm, right, right. That's the thing, yeah. It is fun also here to see Fozzie kind of holding court as Scrooge walks up. Fozzie's so at ease, like it's his party and everyone loves him. He's having a great time. Oh, yeah, he's just schmoozing with everyone, yeah. Yeah, there's like, like I, I think I said in a previous episode, this is like Fozzie Wig is who Fozzie always imagines himself to be, <laughs> I think. You know, just like the life of the party. Everyone loves him. Everyone loves being around him. Yeah. I love that for him. I'm so glad he got to do that. <laughs> and it seems like Frank Oz is having a good time in this scene too. Like just the little the little buttons that he puts on all the conversations. And like when when those there's just like a couple of unnamed rats who walk up and Fozzie's like, Ah, I'm so glad to see you. Thank yeah. you for going to the party. He's, <laughs> right? really putting, he's really putting his all into it. Yeah. Yeah. I I gotta say, I think seeing how how well this scene sort of understands Fozzie in such a limited role is, I, I have a feeling next season it's gonna just emphasize even more how well Muppet Treasure Island does not understand Fozzie in a much larger role, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, but we'll get to <laughs> Fozzie's. Fozzie's probably my least favorite thing about that movie. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll find more to appreciate. But I was. Or maybe say you'll find something rats. else that's your least favorite thing about that movie. Oh, I hope I love everything. <laughs> I hope Muppet <laughs> yes. Treasure Island finally clicks for We're me. We're all after, hoping that after twenty-seven years. But Fozzie, when he's talking to these rats, this tells us that Scrooge has known rats socially at least since he worked for Fozzie. <laughs> Right, like he hires rats to work at his business, and we've talked a lot about how, like, oh, he doesn't hire humans, just a frog and a bunch of rats. But here, his boss is talking to rats like they're his his buddies. So I think he, I think we can assume Scrooge, at least as a young man, thought of rats as as equals. Yeah, we saw we see no sign here of Scrooge. Um, I don't know, being <laughs> being prejudiced against these rats. They're just they're just fellow partygoers. Maybe he went on to hire some of those rats or some of their children. They could be, yeah. yeah family connect nepotism at <laughs> Scrooge and Marley. Yeah. <laughs> and then Fozzie, uh, but Scrooge doesn't want to talk to rats now. He wants to shame Fozziewig for spending so much money on the party. This is what he's doing at the Christmas party. And then Fozzie says, Master Scrooge, this is Christmas. It's a time for generosity. Quit working. Go meet some people. Go, go, go on. Now, do you think Scrooge just has some social anxiety or like he he doesn't really know how to meet people? He's a little shy or maybe he just doesn't know how to dance. So rather than doing the normal social things at this party, he is just like, ah, what am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? Ah, I don't know. I'll just go in the back and go over the numbers and see how much money we spent on this party. <laughs> maybe yeah, that's no, all that's he knows how theory. to do. 
He's and comfortable I, with the numbers. Yeah, I say that as a person who is frequently uh, socially uneasy at parties myself. My solution is not to go in the back and see how much money was spent on the party, but I can I can my sympathize solution, with him. My solution is only to go to parties where people want to talk about Ebenezer Scrooge. That's good. <laughs> That's, that would work out really well for you. It would. <laughs> uh, but here, I was going to note, Fozzie calls him Master Scrooge here. Meaning like young Mr. Scrooge, essentially. And when I was a kid, I thought it just meant like Master Splinter from the Ninja (laughs) Turtles. Like, I didn't know why Fozzie was calling. Because I just like Fozzie was calling him Sensei or whatever. It was like like, truly how I heard it as a child. You thought Scrooge had taught Fozzie how to do ninja moves? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But just like that was the context where I heard like Master and then somebody's name. Yeah. You know? Huh. What did uh, sure. what did you think his preferred weapon was? Ebenezer Scrooge is a well-known nunchuck guy. What about Fozzywig? Fozzywig is a well-known bow staff guy. I could see that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having... Fozzy swinging two katanas around? I sure. Can. No, no, no. I'm having trouble mapping their personalities onto their corresponding Ninja Turtles. I have to say, yeah. <laughs> well, good I choices. Scrooge, huh. I mean, although maybe Scrooge is Raph, so maybe he should be Psy. Personality-wise, Scrooge is probably Raph, and Fozzie is probably Michelangelo, I guess. I think that's the closest, yeah. Yeah. The closest you're going to get. Listeners, if you have (laughs) other suggestions, please let us know. I mean, Kermit's obviously Leonardo. Yes, yes. Of course. Does that mean (laughs) Piggy is Donatello or or Gonzo? uh, Chip Chip the IT guy is Donatello. Okay, okay, got it. Perfect. Not, uh, Not Bunsen Honeydew? No, yeah, it's Bunsen. I guess that would make the most sense. Yeah, Bunsen is Donatello, of course. And And the newsman is April (laughs) O'Neil. And Beaker is uh, uh, Baxter Stockman. And of course, they were all built uh, by Henson Workshop people, much like the live-action Ninja Turtles. And that's where we close the loop. Right, right. Well done, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> I, I do. I would. I am kind of surprised that we have yet to see Beaker accidentally turned into a fly. That does seem like something that that the Muppet writers would have come up with by now. Yeah, especially in the comic. Seems yeah. like something that Roger Langridge would have put in the Muppet Show. Yeah, and I don't think he did. I don't think so. Um, but in this one, in this movie that exists, <laughs> while all of this is while all of this is going on the band which is the electric mayhem or the acoustic mayhem as we established last time in the which is what uh, Luke Flowers called them in the storybook mm. of this the 20 what 2018 2019 storybook they have been playing a low key waltz but now animal cannot hold back anymore he starts wailing on the drums the rest of the band matches his tempo start playing this fast paced kind of jazzy number and, and they they bust out the the horns. I think they were all playing strings in the previous minutes, but now when the the pace of the music picks up, they like they've grabbed trumpets and trombones, and now they're playing some New Orleans style jazz. It's it's uh, really livens up the party. It does uh, we should note that this song? So it's on the soundtrack. This instrumental track is on the soundtrack. It's called Fezziwig's Party, and it rules. I listen to it every year very excitedly in my car. But it is credited to Chris Caswell, a person who is neither Paul Williams nor Miles Goodman. So uh, the the composer and the songwriter of this movie, neither of them wrote this piece of music. Is that? And I don't know why. Is that the the 
collaborator that Paul Williams has talked about working with, like for the actual like writing. What would you call that? Transcribing the the actual sheet music and stuff. I might have that well, yeah, completely Betzo. wrong. Betzo, yeah, it looks like he was the arranger and orchestrator on the two most recent Muppet movies. Oh, okay. And he did a bunch of Chipmunks albums in the 80s. Huh. But yeah, Muppet Wiki says a frequent collaborator with Paul Williams. So okay, I, I bet that's the right. guy. That's the, that's the chap. Yeah, that's the chap. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out that uh, in the background, you can see Mrs. Fozziewig dancing with the guy who uh, a minute or two ago uh, said Merry Christmas that, that we all said that he was he was one of our favorite puppets in this scene. So he and uh, Fozzie's Ma are having a great time dancing. Lots That's of good great. work from the background artists yes. in this scene. There is yes. particularly when uh, Scrooge and Belle are talking, uh, there is one actor who is just throwing down some scorching hot dance moves. Uh, <laughs> A, a, a human actor? A human actor, yes. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and in general, this whole... like, I Last week, I read a section from the book about Fozziewig's party being one of my favorite things in the whole book. And this little chunk captures the joy of that section in the book better than just about anything, I think. Where we see Jacob Marley start to do a silly dance and yeah. Robert Marley calls him a dancing fool. And then... <laughs> We see like Rolf excitedly playing the piano and, uh, you know, just everybody's just kind of having a great time, just celebrating. Yeah, it's nice to see Rolf doing anything, especially excitedly playing the piano, because it'll right. be a few more years until he speaks again after Jim Henson's passing. And then even more time after that, before he really kind of rejoins the the cast, the ensemble of the Muppets. Right. You say until he speaks, but it's like on an episode of Muppets Tonight, he goes, he says, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Oh yeah. That's yeah, and that was it for several more years. Yeah, we. Just yeah, started. and it's it's Bill Beretta like doing the exact same voice he yeah. does now. Like, yeah, I don't know why they didn't. They were just, just uh, start they were do just it, being but. cautious. I think. I was wondering about whether uh, the the phrase "dancing fool" might possibly be anachronistic because it's uh, it, it's like it, it, that's the joke when um, when Statler is dancing, Waldorf says, "You dancing fool," and then they laugh. I knew there was a Frank Zappa song called Dance and Fool from the late 70s, um, but I had a feeling that wasn't where the phrase originated. Um, so I kept looking, by which I mean I kept scrolling through the first page of Google results. Um, there's a Betty Boop cartoon from 1932 called The Dancing Fool. And then I also found Wait. on the Library of Congress website, there's a a Foxtrot-style instrumental from 1922 called Dancing Fool by the Clyde Door Orchestra. And then I found an article by Dr. Colette Balmain on a website called View of the Arts, uh, which informed me that the line, Let Me Be a Dancing Fool, appears in a recent song called Permission to Dance by BTS. And that article explains that the phrase goes back to uh, various uh, cultural traditions from various cultures uh, involving celebratory dances where basically uh, people just kind of um, dance freely with abandon, like the, the idea of, of the fool as, as like, you know, like the jester. Um, so basically being a dancing fool is just dancing like no one is watching. Right. And there you right. have it. 
Thanks for that info. Yeah. In a true in a true rarity in the podcast medium, your investigation came to a satisfying conclusion. Pretty much. I'm satisfied. Yeah, that is rare. Yeah, I don't have to say, will we ever know about <laughs> what a dancing fool is? Serial season four, dancing fool, case closed. <laughs> Some questions are more important than answers. There you go. Wow, is Sarah Koenig in the room? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know she was on this one. Do you think she likes Muppets? Should we have her on the show? We, we, hey, we could ask. Yeah. <laughs> but which Muppet, you know, is she? If we're talking about, like, classic era, This American Life uh, cast, let's let's run through <laughs> it like we did with, the, with uh, Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Well, wow. uh, Sarah, well um, Sarah Vowell is... I mean, Sarah Vowell's Oscar the Grouch, right? If we, <laughs> if we can use Sesame Street. Yeah, because it's public broadcast. Yeah, ah, there you ah. go. Um, I mean, Ira Glass is Kermit, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah. Is David Sedaris Gonzo? Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But uh, a, a human, a new human does join the cast of this movie right here. Uh, while the song is playing, Fozzie walks up with a young woman named Belle, played by Meredith Braun. This is our first uh, first time we see her. She's actually a New Zealand native, I found out while looking her up for this oh. podcast. I didn't know that. Based in the UK, like her entire adult life. Hmm. Um, only a very few film and TV credits. Uh, yeah, I saw six l- acting credits on IMDb. Yeah, but a lot of theater. She was playing Eponine in Les Mis on the West End when this movie was shot. At, like she was in the cast at that time. Yeah. And she was like Christine in Phantom for a while on the West End. Huh. She was Lily in the Secret Garden on the West End. So she's done. I mean, she's she's no slouch. No, a lot of a lot of stage and a lot of singing. Right, and I think she's a delight in this. I think she's adorable. I think she like very minimal screen time, but really makes an impression. Well, you have to believe with very minimal screen time that she is somebody that that Scrooge really kind of fell in love with. And I think that that does, that does come across, like you say. Right. Well, and I think she and Ray Coulter have like, it's a very brief scene, but there's a real spark between them. Like yeah. they both seem very taken with each other. Right. Yeah. It's chemistry in a very short amount of time. Yeah. I think it's good. Like, I think it's a good decision on Brian Henson's part, probably to have him bump into her. Yes. They physically he, he bump past, into each other. And then they like turn and kind of gaze into each other's eyes while Fozzie is yakking away. Yeah, well, that's when Fozzie, I think, is saying, I love these annual Christmas parties. I think we'll do them twice a year. (laughs) Which is pretty good. Yeah. But then then, when he introduces them, he says, uh, I I think this is as the music is is fading in or out. But Fozzie says, well, I'm glad you two finally met, which implies that he's been trying to get these two together for a while now. He's right. Been, he's been trying to play matchmaker. Right. And then he just, but he just keeps on yakking after that. Too. Right. And like, he doesn't, doesn't they don't even notice because they're, That's yeah. they're like falling in love, but Fozzie just won't stop. There's, there's a lost bell Scrooge, uh, Fozzie wig rom-com, uh, in the middle of this particular flashback. <laughs> yeah. We're that witnessing really, the meat cute. That's true. And very much so. Yeah. And, uh, the ghost of Christmas, past doesn't recognize it as being the meat. I think, I think she does recognize it as being the meat cute, but she's, she's like kind of egging Scrooge on. She says, do you remember this meeting? And Scrooge says, remember? Yes. 
I remember. And Mike, man, I mean, like we've talked a lot about Michael Caine being wonderful in this movie, but he invests that with so much real emotion, like the just like bitterness at having to think about this good time. Yeah. And knowing how it's going to end. Yeah. Really comes through in his performance here. And it's like, it's, it's, it's the, I think it's the only thing he says in Fozzie Wiggs party in this minute, in these minutes, like he did when they first got there. Yeah. That's probably right. And he, he reminds you why he's a legend. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, uh, since our, our previous, uh, extra special bonus episode, when Dave Goals told us that Michael Caine does not blink on camera, I, I have not remembered it every time, but I've been trying to occasionally look to see if I can catch Michael Caine blinking. I have, I have yet to do. So, and in this, it, yeah, he, he doesn't blink. He's just, you know, completely lost in the emotion of, of, you know, remembering all the regret that he has associated with Bell. Right. And then the ghost next then says there was, of course, another Christmas Eve with this young woman some years later. And so, first of all, how many years do we, do we think, how many years do you guys think they were together? Scrooge and Bell. Because they look basically the same. It's not like they age them up with makeup or anything. Yeah, I guess I don't know like what kind of courtship period was uh, traditional in those days before a couple would get married. It's got to yeah. be at least like you know through Scrooge getting on his feet. Maybe he's that's, become, that's true, right? Like he's maybe junior partner with the Marleys at this point, but she's uh, you know she's. She's the one who stood by him during this. She stuck with him through long nights, uh, times where he didn't come home from the office until like 11, 12 at night. But she was waiting for him. She was devoted. They had they had a connection. But at a certain point, she needs more. She right. needs she needs right. him to commit to her. He's not he's not courting the Marleys. He's courting her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, Maybe and you can, five it, years. Yeah, I think that I think that seems five plausible. to seven years. Five to seven years, something like that. Sure. And the fact that she eventually needed something more is Scrooge says, "Oh, please, do not show me that Christmas." But right before it dissolves to to that later Christmas, and as he says, "Oh, please," you can see Belle behind him, just beaming during their first meeting. Ah, uh. like she has such a huge smile on her face. And then it's going to fade to the next scene where she, of course, won't. We don't see too much of the next scene. The world just kind of dissolves to white. Not in this and clip. My, Michael Caine turns around. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll pick up with young Scrooge and Belle next time. It is interesting that he, he says, oh, please do not show me that Christmas, just based on the ghost saying there was another Christmas Eve with this young woman. Like, he, are, he knows how this works. He, he has figured right. out well, exactly what Christmas he's about to see. Well, they broke up on Christmas Eve. Like, right. All, all the other Christmases they spent together are not going to be the one that the ghost means. Right. right. I mean, like, presumably we don't know how, how yeah. happy all their Christmases together were, but yeah, I, sp- I suppose, I suppose. So if, um, so if the ghost says there was another, does that mean there was only one other Christmas Eve? Well, no, because she says some years later, like okay. she specifically uh, okay. says that. So I think, I think to, to make it clear that it's more than a year passing. Yeah, that, yeah. No, I, I was guess. paraphrasing a second ago. I I should have right. I should have uh, quoted yeah. the whole line. <laughs> right. 
Um, but that's that actually brings us to the end of the clip. So, Eric, do you have any other thoughts about these two minutes? Um, I mean, it's just it, uh, Mother Christmas Carol is an interesting one for me because I think that there are kind of long pockets of it where you don't get the ensemble Muppet movie spirit that I often look for and seek out in my favorite Muppet movie moments. And this scene has that, you know, like it has, it has that very nice kind of poignant inclusion of a lot of the Henson characters that we hadn't seen up until this point in the film. Um, And it's just, it's a big raucous messy party um yeah and it's 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 a lot of it's it's a lot of fun in the middle of a sequence that is not necessarily fun from scrooge's point of view um but you know it's uh it's just good to see everybody cutting it up in uh in fozzy wigs storage unit full of uh, rubber chickens and clown shoes <laughs> yeah true couldn't put it better uh, Ryan, anything else before we? Uh, yes, I have a few things. Uh, so actually, Eric just mentioned the clown shoes. There are also some um, what look like clown hats on the shelf behind the Swedish chef. So earlier, Scrooge referred to this as uh, Fozziewig's rubber chicken factory. But clearly, Fozziewig's is a, a, a manufacturer of fine novelty products of all types, not just rubber chickens. Uh, which reminds me of Archie McPhee. Are you familiar with Archie McPhee? <laughs> but of course. I used to get these catalogs in the mail. There's a website yeah. now. Um, they're, uh, they're a company that sells silly novelty items, which just like, I, I feel like they're the modern version of this uh, Fozziewig uh, rubber chicken and novelty <laughs> company. If you go to Archie McPhee's website right now and click on top sellers, you'll see things like uh, a possum driving a peanut uh, a tin of emergency googly eyes, little plastic hands that you put on your fingertips, a squishy stress tardigrade, and instant underpants in a can. And all of this just sounds like stuff that, that Fozziewig would, would be happy to sell. So. Fozziewig's got to get, uh, he's got to diversify his portfolio into uh, bacon-themed items. That's yeah. that's oh. really what I associate with. Yeah, with there Archie were, McPhee. I also saw bacon, <laughs> I think bacon band-aids on the, the front page mm-hmm. of Archie McPhee. So they also have a, a physical store in Seattle where they actually have a rubber chicken museum that you can walk through, like a little uh, series of displays of rubber chickens from throughout history. So That's um, great. That's one thing. Uh, What else do I have here? What other kind of nonsense? Um, uh, Another thing we should mention about Meredith Braun. I saw this on Muppet Wiki. In 2013, she recorded Rainbow Connection for her album, Someone Else's Story. And then more recently, just in 2017, she re-recorded a song that we're about to hear her sing, When Love Is Gone. Um, for an album which I think is also called "When Love Is Gone" that that she did, so she's she's gone back to the Muppet Well a couple times. And speaking of Belle, um, only a couple of adaptations featuring other established characters have featured the character. Most of them just kind of kind of skip over her. But in Mickey's Christmas Carol, Belle is played by Daisy Duck, which is a little weird because like Scrooge McDuck is the the uncle, you know, in, in the quote-unquote <laughs> real life of the characters. 
Scrooge is the uncle of Donald and Daisy is usually depicted as the girlfriend of Donald. But in this dramatization that they're participating in, Daisy is playing Scrooge's girlfriend. Well, uh, let me let me tell you a story from real life. And okay, by real Sam. life, I by real life I mean a radio broadcast from 1945. Love it. I recently listened to Dick Tracy in B flat from Command <laughs> Performance, which is a musical comedy spoof of Dick Tracy, starring like Bing Crosby as Dick Tracy, Bob Hope as Flat Top, and so on. A musical well, comedy spoof of Dick Tracy. Yes. Nice. Featuring the named character, and the reason I bring this up in response to that, the Scrooge McDuck thing is because the character Vitamin Flintheart, the, the bumbling bartender, is played <laughs> by Frank Morgan. And um, the character Snowflake, who he marries at the end, is played by Judy Garland. So, oh. yes, in this radio adaptation, the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy get married at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that's from 1940-something, so that was after the Wizard of Oz. yeah. So it's a few yeah. years after the Wizard wow. of Oz, yeah. This is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I'm sure the all the the soldiers <laughs> so, uh, ran to Twitter to to talk about that. <laughs> that's, that's true. But I mean, Judy was in her 20s. You know, she's an she's an adult. Oh, sure, she's yeah. She's not she's not a teenager anymore. But yeah, still, still, that's weird. Still interesting. Um, then in yeah. the Flintstones Christmas Carol, Belle is played by Wilma. Um, alert listeners might recall that. Uh, Wilma also played the Ghost of Christmas Past. I did not go back to read the entire synopsis of the Flintstones Christmas Carol to find out why Wilma plays both characters. Um, but if anybody else wants to do that, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a detailed synopsis on, on Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I mean, the moral of the story sounds to me like if you're going to do the Christmas Carol adaptation, you got to make sure that you've got a deep bench of named characters or else yeah. you're going to yeah. wind up repeating. Yeah. You're going to pull a wizard of Oz. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah right. none of, none of those other, like the Smurf version didn't the Muppet comic strip and Muppet magazine didn't have bell. So rich, rich little doesn't have her. <laughs> Not that I saw in my, in my very in-depth research, who do you, what, what voice would, would, what impression would rich little have done to play bell in his version? Carol Channing. Carol mm-hmm. Channing. Oh, see, I was just thinking maybe may West, but yeah, Carol yeah, Channing would be, good, be good too. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, any um, alternative but, uh, casting choices? I was, I was thinking. My mind went to Phyllis Diller, but I think I was actually oh. thinking Carol Channing. Okay, sure. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of, not speaking of Rich Little, but speaking of other adaptations, I wanted to talk in uh, the old Curiosity Shop. The main thing is in the book, Scrooge doesn't meet Belle at Fezziwig's at Fezziwig's party does not happen hmm. the first time we see bell the first mention of bell is after the party they you know the world dissolves again scrooge saw himself he was older now a man in his prime of life and then there's some he was not alone but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress so that's the first time we hear about bell okay. is like now now years have passed there's no there's no bell at at Fezziwig's party and yet this is far from the first adaptation to have that um, so I went, I went back and checked ne- the 1938 movie with Reginald Owen. No, they do not meet at the party. Okay. 1951 movie with Alistair Sim. No, they do not meet at the party. Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. They do. Mickey's Christmas yeah. Carol. They do. Right. That's, so yeah, that sounds familiar. it's, it's for whatever reason, it's like the children's character adaptations. Huh. They, they meet at the, meet at the party. Uh, George C. Scott 
meets her at the party in the 1984 movie. He, but he seems to know her. He's just like, ah, Belle, would you like to dance? And she's like, I thought you'd never ask. I think the arc of the so, two characters' relationship resonates more if they if if we do see if if Belle is introduced earlier in Scrooge's story. I think then like we kind of understand more. Like, oh, this is someone who was important to Scrooge for a long time. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that you find out it's not in the book, and that sounds wrong. Yeah, because it seems yeah. so natural to introduce her there. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm happy to report I, I've been talking about this all along, but I have now seen Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, and and it so, is good. What you mean is that you now have the Lord's bright <laughs> blessing and knowing we're together. <laughs> yes, and that's really oh, razzleberry dressing. Right. There it is. Right. There it is. See, now I understand that reference. <laughs> Right, gets it now. Now I can sing about yeah. raspberry dressing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And Belle has a song in that too, which we'll probably talk about next time. That is and true. Belle has a song in this movie. Uh, and it's good too, in my opinion. Uh, by the way, as I'm sure we've discussed, the songs in that are by Jules Stein and Bob Merrill, who wrote the songs for Funny Girl together. So, like, it's not... They, they weren't messing around when they hired the creative yeah, team Yeah, like for that. major <laughs> Broadway <laughs> composers. Yeah. Wild. I mean, it's got, a, it, um, it's, it's got a bright sheen of prestige all over it. I mean, it is staged as if it were a contemporary Broadway play. Right. Yeah, for right. some reason, Mr. Right. Magoo is, is established as a Broadway star in the reality of that special. <laughs> and he's starring in an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And they've trained Gerald McBoing Boing to say more words than onomatopoeia. That's true. I never, <laughs> until you said that, I never once thought about Tiny Tim being Gerald McBoingwood, but you're right. It oh, totally yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that, that UPA style, you couldn't, there wasn't too much variation. <laughs> but so that, uh, the last thing then is Eric, a few questions about the movie. What's your history with the movie? Where do you rank it among the Muppet movies? And this year we're asking, do you watch it every December? Well, my history with it is this is probably the first Muppet movie that I saw first run in the theater. Um, I was I was born in 1985, so I missed out on the chance to see the first three in the theaters. Um, and I would have been this is this is a 1992 release, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So I would have I would have been seven that the uh, the holiday season that this was released. I remember going to see it with my family at our local uh, megaplex in Brighton, Michigan. And I, I, my most distinct memory of it, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of people is just being absolutely terrified by the, uh, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like if you were going to rank scary uh, ghosts of Christmas yet, yet to come, it definitely ranks very high on that list. Um, just, Big, spooky, ominous, tall, bigger than life. That's uh, true. Very more, large. <laughs> more frightening yeah. than anything you could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that that really made an impression on me. Um, but, you know, it was, it's, it's a funny thing about it being, and I, I might be jumping ahead to the third question here. It's a funny thing about it being an annual revisit, because I think that then kind of detracts from, how how often you revisit it like you know the first the first three muppet treasure island even muppets from space like those those are movies in my prime muppet viewing 
periods that maybe I would watch a couple of times a year. Uh, but sure. Muppet Christmas Carol really just like holding that perennial spot. It's it's one that you you take the clamshell off the shelf once during a specific period on the calendar, and then you don't watch it again for another year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not to detract from any of its qualities and any of its like it's it's merits as being probably one of the best cinematic adaptations of the Dickens tale. Um, I mean, at least from like a faithfulness to the source material. Yeah. It comes up Um, in that conversation a lot. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we were, I, the podcast continues to lavish praise on the Michael Caine performance. I mean, hands down only, only to my personal favorite, Charles Grodin, do I think uh, Michael Caine could, could come in, second place in terms of human performances huh. in a Muppet movie. And even then Grodin doesn't really anchor a uh, great Muppet caper the way that Michael Caine has to, you know, he is right. Yeah. His, he's, his, he's, I mean, he has maybe 20 minutes of screen time, really 25. Like he's not really in it that much. Yeah, right. Grodin, I mean, the main in, character. In yeah. Yeah. He's the, he's the main character. His performance carries the film. He is the reason that every six months uh, somebody on Twitter is like, hey, what Muppet project should recast a, a classic story with one human in it? It's, <laughs> yep. right, it is an, right. an absolutely indelible thing. Um, and for that, for that reason, I, you know, I, I am kind of conflicted about where to put it in the rankings. Like, Muppets from Space, which I haven't watched in a long, long time, I do have a lot of sentimental feeling toward. Um, Me too. And I, I may even, like, I, I'm probably contradicting rankings that I've given in, in past episodes, <laughs> thinking that I'm going to put that in fourth, but I, I don't, that seems absurd. Uh, and I've also, like, <laughs> I've also come to have a, a renewed appreciation on repeat viewing for Muppets most wanted, which I think is oh, great. the okay. funniest, yeah. the funniest Muppet movie since great Muppet caper. So I think we're both right there with you on that. So Christmas Carol's somewhere in four five, six range, I think. Okay. Yeah. Middle. Yeah. It's not, not to detract from it. It is, it is a very great piece of just kind of screen craft everything looks great yeah the songs the songs are wonderful i'm gonna have one more sleep till christmas stuck in my head from now until new year's um (laughs) but yeah you know it's 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 just going to always be hard to compete with the first three especially when it's when you're the movie that has to follow up that run, you know, and has yeah. has that big long shadow cast over it. It's they they do an admirable job, uh, but it's hmm. it's hard to escape that shadow. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. Well, uh, that's it for today. We're done, Eric. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It was it was an absolute blast and uh, and a, a joy. Only, only for y'all would I bend my extremely strict rules about Christmas media outside of the oh. uh, Thanksgiving right. to no, New we, Year's we, window. We get that. 
Yeah, that's the, I mean, I'm the same way. Like we've been, we've been, we started recording this season in June, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it's been so strange to be thinking about (laughs) Christmas all the time, every week, you know? It is kind of, Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of a nice, that's a nice sentiment. It must be sort of a nice headspace to exist Christmas every day, though, you know, uh, there's also, there's a little Elmo special uh, from after this movie (laughs) that uh, shows us that that's maybe not uh, a wish that you want to make. Yeah, no, we don't want it to be Christmas again. Every day can't be your birthday. That wouldn't (laughs) be much fun. All right. Um, But uh, yes. Anyways, listeners, you can find us back here in one week from today talking about Christmas again. It's Christmas again. But in the meantime, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, on the wind. You know, we're we're all over the place. Sure. Uh, you can, if you so desire, you can become a Tough Pigs patron on Patreon. You can email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com to tell us how much you enjoy Michael Caine's performance. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe, and on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat, where you can see his recent rave review of Radioland Murders. Yeah, more people should watch that movie. I got to check it out. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist, where you can read my recent rave review of The Invisible Man's Revenge, I guess. <laughs> and I don't know if more people should watch that movie because I've never seen it. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's middling. Some Eric, people should watch I... that movie. <laughs> yes. Eric, where can our listeners find you and your work these days online? Uh, well, you might be able to find me on Letterboxd still. I set up uh, an account like two Halloweens ago and added a bunch of horror movies that I was watching uh, that October and then promptly dropped uh, my use of that site. But I should fire it back up. Uh, it seems like it seems like at the very least, Anthony and Ryan are having fun over there. So I, <laughs> I want to get in sure on that. Are. It does get, get very active there. as we're recording this. It's it's uh, Halloween season. I, I, I've noticed that it gets very active around this time because everybody is watching scary movies. It sounds it sounds like a a Fezziwig's uh, twice annual Christmas party that uh, I should be a part of. <laughs> uh, but in addition, <laughs> in addition to that place where I might not be. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eric M. Adams. And then uh, my work these days uh, exists over at IndieWire.com, uh, where I am the deputy editor of craft and special projects. So uh, editing a lot of uh, great articles about uh, behind the scenes uh, of your favorite TV and, and, and movies. Uh, I like to tell people, that my job is like uh, the special features uh, of IndieWire. Uh, you get to learn. You get to learn all about how your favorite scenes were lit and shot. And uh, you know, uh, in a couple of days, this is uh, this is here. Here we're going to be mixing up the seasons. Here, uh, I I'm working on a story about the uh, the long lost score to it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. So hopefully that'll be uh, on on the web by the time this episode is out. Oh, cool! I can't yeah. wait to read that. We love Sounds special awesome. features. <laughs> you. That's why we. That's why we have a podcast where we talk about movies two minutes at a time. <laughs> there you go. Um, but thank you so much, Eric, for being here. Thank you to Morgan Davy for designing our logo, and thank you to every listener out there for giving us that positive review you've been meaning to give us since Fozzie Wig's last biannual Christmas party. <laughs> And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye.
Oh, I just got a letter from Jeffrey Katzenberg. Next week's episode is canceled. <laughs> <laughs>